have been a series of messages called Love Songs. From the Song of Songs, the love songs that ends all love songs, the Song of Solomon. So be finding that in your Bibles. We'll be there in a second. Or if you got your journal Bibles, uh, grab those out. Uh, I think we have given them all out, plus ordered more and gave all those out. And so hopefully you've been taking notes as you go along here. We're talking about love in its various forms and in expressions even, and how it builds and flows and ebbs and flows. Now today, we want to talk about the difference between burgeoning love, that's a fun kind of love, that's the kind of love that you see somebody across a crowded room, sparks begin to fly, you say, that's the person I'm going to be with, and you haven't, don't even know their name, but you're going to be with that person. We all kind of like those kind of love experiences. We literally can turn the light switch on for us. It can, it can electrify us. And then you walk across the room and you meet them and you have this engaging conversation and you go home or you tell all your friends that I've met the one, the only one that God has for me. And again, it's exciting, that burgeoning kind of love. It's sweaty palms. It's uh, your heart rate literally rises in your chest. And so it physically changes you. It emotionally changes you. It sometimes even spiritually can change you because the heavens have now opened and dropped down the creation that God made for you. You remember that day, that person that may be sitting next to you that you felt that kind of feeling that you had? That's burgeoning kind of love. I wish to say it always felt that way. But the reality is, is it doesn't. It goes into different manifestations and morphs. Now, does it mean it gets worse? In fact, I can honestly tell you, uh, if I'm lying, I am dying. And that is that I love Lori more. I love Lori deeper. I love Lori wider. I love Lori in every sense of the word love more today than I did the day that I first saw her, the day that I had that sweaty palms and all that kind of stuff. But how do you get there? That's That's a flourishing kind of love. And flourishing kind of love takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of attention. But what happens is when you think about the love that is burgeoning, it's uh, what, what Solomon refers to in Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 1 as he's drunk with love. Again, it's that kind of sweaty palm kind of love. Doctors tell us or psychologists tell us that that kind of love will last about 15 months. 15 to 30 months if you're really good, all right? And then if, at that point, it begins to have to change. If it has not developed, if it's not deeper, wider, if it's not, has more consistency about it, then that satisfaction kind of love, which is what we're talking about today, it won't always be there. It will fade. It will fade with time. And, and I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just doing a reality check because here's the reality. Love leaks. Okay. It kind of seeps out over time. If you are not flourishing, developing, maintaining, if you're not learning how to nurture it, and we've talked about nurturing, what happens after the course of 15 months or even 15 years? Life moves in. Things take over. Things take priority, though we would never say that, never write that on a sheet of paper, that something has taken a priority over my loved one, the one I'm married with for life, that one who caused my heart to stop, the one I was love drunk over. I would never say that I have a higher priority. But when you look at my time, when you look at my emotional energy, when you look at my energy, when you look at my money, when you look at everything else about me, it says that that person is way down the list. 
They have been demoted without knowing and officially being demoted. And so what happens? Communication begins to cause a, a, a hole inside the inner tube of our marriage. And conflict resolution begins to puncture and create a, a leakage of love inside of us. And all of a sudden, one argument that we have turns into a 15-year argument that is never resolved. We just keep rehashing it, warming it up in the microwave, kind of bringing it back on the table because we don't learn how to resolve conflict. Leisure leak. Leisure leak happens and kind of that love leak is happening is whenever, whenever we got, we were dating them, we couldn't handle being without them. We, we had to be with them every waking hour. You remember the days of landlines? I know I'm dinosaur here on you, but the landline days, whenever you would be on the phone, it's like, no, you hang up. No, I hang, you hang up. You know, all, all that kind of stuff back and forth. Maybe y'all didn't do that. I did that. And so I mean, you, you can't not, not, not be with that person. You can't imagine not being with that person, but then all of a sudden leisure leak slips, slips in and you, you, you can be without that person. In fact, you spend more time with your dude's friends or your girlfriends than you do with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And so that begins, that romance begins to leak. What happens is children come in the, in, into the play and all of a sudden you go from being a couple focused marriage to a kid-focused marriage. And there's all kinds of things to say about the kid-focused marriage. We think in our minds that that's maybe the best way to go, that we become kid-focused because they're young, they're little impressionable minds. And yes, they are. And yes, we don't need to neglect them. DHS will come see you if you do. But uh, the reality is, is that we, if we ever stop being couple-focused and we start becoming kid-focused, then what happens? The kids become the center of the universe. They become the center of the, of the family. And the marriage is the center of the family. The kids rotate around it. They're moving out, okay? They better anyway. They're moving out and they're moving on. But all of a sudden, little Throgmorton wants to go do something and everything stops because he wants to sign up for that new activity at school. And he becomes this activity. All of a sudden, we go from couple-focused to kid-focused to activity-focused. It's no longer even about the, the kids. It's now about all the activities that they want to do in life. And again, this is a part of the leak that happens. It happens subtly. It happens, it happens over time. It's, it's a slow leak. It's a progressive kind of leak. Success leak also. We become career-focused. We become about the life and the, and, the, and the status and the advancement and the moves and the and the positions and the titles and the influence and the power and we chasing next the chasing of next becomes the little splinter that gets in the tire that pops the maybe that pop it just causes a slow leak of love to seep out and we no longer are pursuing our spouse we're pursuing our careers and so think about that then there's the trust damage that can come into play and that damage that that abrasive something that happens in the relationship and no longer is there trust there and one person has been hurt and they will never ever let go of that hurt and this person may even be regretful, remorseful, and sorry in so many ways, but this person will just never let go and never turn back and never trust again. They've swore they'll never, ever let that happen again. All these things happen in real life. 
I'm not talking about a blowout. Blowouts are different. Blowout, it happens all at once. You have to hang on to the wheel and you're pulling over to the side of the road. It's a big pop. You know those blowout experiences and when they happen, they're bad. I'm talking to 90% of the marriages in here that will have to deal with, have to struggle with, have to fight against a love leak. Norman Wright was a person that uh, I really admired in my, uh, in my, in my studies and in, in trying to get my, uh, my, my counseling focus of my major. And, um, and, then, uh, and then even in the early on of our marriage, he was kind of like the, the, the marriage guru. Uh, whenever we were, uh, when we, Lori and I were, in fact, Lori reminded me of the day that the very first marriage conference we ever went to was a Norman Wright conference. One of the books that I picked up on Norman Wright, and they're still out there, they're, most of them are kind of out of print now, so you have to grab them uh, while you can, but one of those is So You're Getting Married. And I, and I grabbed that book uh, before we were even married, and it was written to engage couples, and it was just really just getting it out there, a real honest conversation about what it means to be married, and that he's very pro-marriage, very pro-family, but he's just really uh, moving away a lot of that clutter that comes with that euphoric kind of love, and telling us this is the raw facts about this. And, and through a study that was done, he literally unveiled that there are stages of a marriage, and the satisfaction over time in a marriage naturally decreases. And this is what he found in his studies that over time, whenever you first married everything, maybe it's its highest point, that satisfaction is there. I mean, you are young and you're dumb and you're in love and you're living on love and ramen noodles. Remember that day? You didn't need money. You had love. You had each other. That's all you needed. And, and that was okay. And that was good. And then childbearing years come along. And you go from this steep decline. You go into this steep decline of, again, marital satisfaction. This is the leak that happens. And you move into the exhausted years. Wherever the kids come into play and there's more kids and there's more kids or there's maybe just one kid and that one kid is keeping you awake at night and you're exhausted. This is what Norman Wright said in his book. He said, there's one guarantee that a child brings with his or her arrival, the guarantee that his or her presence will not bring instant happiness or solve marital problems. A child is a bottomless pit of needs and demands. Amen? Those are the exhausted years. But you good news is, go back to that graph. It gets worse. You move from the exhausted years to the interrupted years. This is again when the kids start bringing home all the homework assignments and these homework assignments. Have you ever noticed this, parents? That the homework assignments are actually for the parents to do. Bug collections. Who does that except for the parent does that? And so the parents are actually the ones being graded whenever the kids take their homework back to school. So life gets interrupted. And, and again, marriage gets put to the back burner because you're an adult. You can take care of yourself. We're going to have to figure this stuff out with these kids. Then you go into the secondary years. And I call these the fiscal years, not the physical years, the fiscal years where the kids kind of get into those teen years and they're a bottomless pit at the table. They're a bottomless pit on clothes because about every six months they're going up two sizes in clothes. Before their clothes wear out, you're buying new clothes. They are constantly like this. And this doesn't mean, hey, give me five. It means give me 10 or 20 or 30 or something like that. 
and you know the, the the expenses of life get more. Now you're 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 sleeping through the night because they're sleeping about. 15 hours of the day. And so you're, you're at least able to get some shut eye in there. But the reality is that life has come and 12, 18 years go by. And the marriage leaks and the love leaks. This is what psychology today said just recently. He said for the vast majority of American couples today, this is from a secular point of view. But it is so true. Sexual satisfaction plummets at the birth of the first child and reemerges, if at all, after the last child leaves the home. Wake up call. What has happened whenever the satisfaction has gone, when the joy and the euphoric has gone, is that basically you've experienced a love leak. Here's a life principle for you. Burgeoning love happens to you. Flourishing love happens because of you. Because you were very intentional about the marriage. Because you closed the bedroom door every now and then and you told the kids, stay away. Because you made a priority for each other, knowing that you are in this for 50 plus years and they're only in it for 18. This marriage, this family unit right here is the family unit. Take your Bibles and open to Song of Solomon chapter 6. We kind of step into, again, a story of a poet told in poetry form, the 17th of 22 poems that are spoken uh, in the Song of Solomon. And we come to verse 13. And uh, verse 13 of chapter 6 is in the Hebrew Bible, chapter one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17. Now, how in the English Bible we got it mixed up or not, but here I'm not trying to say the Word of God is, in, is incorrect. I'm just saying this, the chapter and the verse placement was done by man years and years later, the the, the verse divisions were done later on. But actually, the Hebrew Bible has chapter, verse 13 in as a part of chapter 7, if you will. So keep that in mind as we're going to be jumping across that, that chapter divide there. Say, well, are you taking things out of context? Not at all. These actually flow together. And it actually, according to, uh, to, to one of the scholars that, I, that I've been reading from, he said this is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Song of Solomon to interpret and to understand and to unpack. But here's some things that we do get from this. We get our first introduction into uh, who the Song of Solomon's uh, woman is. And her name is, well, her name is not Shulamite, even though I've said that she is the Shulamite. Every time it is used, it is used with a definite article. So it's not Shulamite, here's her name. She is the Shulamite. And in this, the idea here is that that was a title that she bore. It's actually the Hebrew word of the feminine word for Solomon. Shulamite, Solomon, you can kind of maybe hear some of the differences in there. So it's believed that this was the title that she bore. But also the second thing that we see is we see that there is, there's a separation that's taken place. We don't know what. We don't, again, it's poetry. We're not supposed to read it as narrative, but it's poetry. And as we unpack it, we see that there's somehow emotionally, physically, there is a separation. Call it a love leak that has happened in the marriage. The love has seeped out. Because four times in one verse, 
the cry out will be return, 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 return. Return, O, return, o Shulamite. Return that we may look upon you. And then it goes on to ask a question as if the Shulamite were to speak here. And it says, why? Why should you look upon the Shulamite? See, if your marriage has lost its why, you've experienced a love leak. Why do I need to forgive? Why do I need to go? I've tried that, Mike. You don't understand. I'm just tired. Why? Why why should I put more effort in whenever they're not putting effort in? Why? Again, love leaks. Love seeps out. Love evaporates if we're not careful. Here's the McDaniel paraphrase of this verse. The husband says, I want what I lost. Please come back together. The wife says, why, why, why do you want me? When you rediscover your why, and maybe you won't rediscover your why, I challenge you to rediscover your why. Go back to those euphoric days. Go back to, to, the, to the days of, of love and passion and commitment. And go back to your wedding vows whenever you said, till death is too part. Go back when you said, I would give myself to you and all my possessions. I meant everything, my emotions, my energy. Go back to those promises that you made. And say, what am I going to do? Why? Why? Because this is mine. This is my beloved. Come up with the why, because if you don't, then you can just stop there. But if you can rediscover your why, the subsequent question is the how. How do we rekindle? How do we reconnect? How do we refill our love tank again? And I want to talk about real quickly today four patches to restoring satisfaction back in the marriage. Again, whether you have children at home or you don't, no matter what your stage or season of life is, because if you'll remember back to that graph, it just continues to go down and then it starts to climb up when the last kid leaves the house. But just think about it for a moment. There's some people that don't make it that long. And there's some people that don't know how to turn it around. They don't know how to patch the leaks. And the, the hole becomes so much more apparent whenever the kids are gone. Four patches of restoring satisfaction. Now again, there's some debate on whether this is a cause or effect. When I feel I love you, I will love you. Then I will do this. That's what some might think. Cause is I choose to love you, even if I don't feel this. So when I'm going to say these four patches, you may go, yeah, yeah, but I don't feel that. Well, you're going to choose this. And you're going to act in faith that the feeling will come. Okay, if you wait for the feeling, the feeling may never hit you again. That's burgeoning love. We're moving into flourishing love. We got to nurture that. Number one is intimacy, where you are fully known and fully loved. There's a lot of couples that never make it past the surface. Oh, they may make it two or three feet down in. Intimacy is being fully known and fully loved. But the surface kind of love is really what is about as deep as some people ever make it. 
There are some people that will live for years and years and years in that surface love where they're just kind of like just revealing enough of themselves. Now, again, they have all the reasons in the world why they have, I've I've dealt with that, I don't want to go there, I I, I, I don't want to talk about this. There will be many people that will die with secrets in their soul. And I will say this, that Lori and I, for, for probably 10 years of our marriage, lived it just below the surface. We loved each other above the surface. We loved each other below the surface. But that's all we knew was down so far until we realized that there were wounds in our life. And about, I don't know, 13 years ago, we went through a process totally unrelated. We didn't realize it was, a, it was totally unrelated to our marriage, but ended up spilling over into our marriage and making our marriage more strong and more beautiful, and more vibrant, because we went below the surface to intimate love. It's when we went to the dark spots. We went to the parts that we maybe wanted to hide, maybe wanted to not talk about. But in trying to get back to God's perfect plan, we cannot ignore that. We've got to realize that what God called us to was an intimate love, fully known, fully loved, fully known, fully loved, where they fully know me and in light of knowing everything about me, they fully love me. You see that again, in the, and I keep referring back to God's original design in Genesis chapter 2. Whenever he put man and woman together, he gave them an intimate kind of soul love together. The first, first thing that happens with, with, with Adam whenever he sees Eve is he starts writing poetry. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's an intimate kind of connection at the soul level. And then it goes into intimate in life because they leave father and mother and they become one. It's expressed in marriage. Love leads to marriage. And that one thing, get, get, get this, that one thing that he's talking about here is going to be a one thing that you're going to work on for the rest of your marriage. You might consummate it on your wedding night, but the one thing where you're really, really connected as one, you're going to constantly be working on that. And that's the beauty and the depths and the infinite depths of intimacy. But notice this. There was more than just expressed in love. There was also an intimate in being. In being. And who they were. Because it says that they were naked and unashamed. Yes, that expresses sexuality. And love leads to marriage, leads to sexuality. But, 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 but don't miss this. They were naked and unashamed. They were, they were physically connected, but they were emotionally connected as well. They were unashamed. They were together, fully known and fully loved. And when you look at uh, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, you look at verse 1 in our Bible. He starts talking about how much he loves her, how he knows her, and how he's connecting with her. Now, notice where he starts. He starts at her feet. Now, if you remember in past times, in chapter 1, verse 15, he starts at her head. In chapter 4, verse 1, on their wedding night, he starts at her head. This time, he starts at her feet. He's going to work his way up the body. In an Arab culture, the feet, you never show your feet to somebody. It's the way you disrespect somebody. It's like flipping somebody the bird in our culture. That's how offensive it can be. How beautiful are your feet in the sandals 
Oh, noble daughter, your rounded thighs. Don't recommend talking about a woman's thighs. The only song that could come to my mind when I thought about that was ACDC. She's knocking me out with those American thighs. I don't think that that's what you want to go with, okay? Her na- your navel is rounded, bold, never lacks mixed wine. Belly is a heap of wheat. Now, again, talking about her belly and it being a heap, I don't know that I would go there either. Her two breasts, he's definitely a breast guy. He mentions breast about 18 times in, 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 in the book. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are, are, are pools. Your nose, again, don't recommend talking about her nose being a tower about Lebanon. But it actually meant it, meant it was very symmetrical. She was... When you looked at her, she was symmetrical. Her head crowns. From her foot, from her feet to her head. It is imagery here to point out the intimate connection that these two are having. They're intimately connected. Number two, there's an enjoyment. There's an intimacy, but there's also an enjoyment. I'm fully known and fully loved, but the the enjoyment is I'm finding pleasure and delight in one another. And again, this may be the patch that you have right now that you need to put on right now because right now you say, I love you because I'm told to love you, but I don't like you. And I don't even need to get a confession. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because there have been many days that she's loved me, but she didn't like me. And you have to. But that's not the case with the Song of Solomon. Solomon says in verse 6, how beautiful and pleasant you are. The word pleasant is used 28 different times in in the Hebrew Bible. I looked into it, it it actually means this, this pleasant, sweet kind of feel to it. When I'm with you, when I taste you, when I smell you, when I look at you, it is a pleasant experience. When we are together, it is pleasant. Again, there's an enjoyment factor in the marriage. 28 different times, one of the times it's used in David's eulogy in 2 Samuel chapter 23 verse 1. It talks about him being the sweet psalmist of Israel. And David uses it to refer to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 26. Again, the close friend of Jonathan and David. But then it goes on and he says, not only are you pleasant, but with all your delights, I enjoy being with you. I enjoy, I delight in your presence. Now the sad thing is we all know Solomon's story. He kind of gets off kilter. He goes on in, in years and he begins to delight in other things. That, this is the sad story of the story. The sad part of the story. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 28, he doesn't talk about delighting in his wife he talks about delighting in his stuff what did i say one of the things that will lead to a marriage leak is whenever we replace delighting in our wife with delighting in success have we lost the delight for the one that we are supposed to have 
the greatest amount of delight for? Do we delight more in our golf game, more in our CrossFit wads, more in our fantasy football, more in our position and rank and favor and influence in the company? Do we delight more in the, in the girls' trips or the retail therapy? Do, do we delight more and find more pleasantry in things away from our spouse or are we finding pleasant delight in them? You know, I think we all would fear of infidelity in the marriage, but I want us to fear something else, and that's negative fidelity. You might write that down. Beware of negative fidelity. I'm going to read a paragraph to you. I don't normally read this much to you, but I've got to read this. Lewis Smead says it like this. He says, a man and a woman can be just too busy, too tired, too timid, too prudent, or too hemmed in with fear to be seriously tempted by an adulterous affair. Good. Good. Whatever it takes to keep you out of that. Good. But this same person can be a bore at home. Callous and delicate to the delicate needs of his partner. He or she may be too prudish to be a venturesome lover. Too busy to put himself out for anything more than a routine ritual of a personal commitment. He or she may be able to claim that he or she never cheated, but he or she may never have tried to grow along with his or her partner into a deep personal relationship of respect and regard within marriage. He or she His or her brand of negative fidelity may be the excuse for letting the marriage fidelity, may be the excuse for letting the marriage fall into neglect, into dreary conformity to habits within to the dull routine of depersonalized sex. But anyone who thinks that morality in marriage is fulfilled by avoiding an affair with a third party is short-circuited in the personal dynamics of fidelity. That's powerful. Yes, you should be cautious of infidelity. But I warn you of negative fidelity being a hole in your marriage where love leaks out. Number three, friendship. Friendship, the us factor. You got to put the us factor patch on for some. There was a few years ago when I was contemplating a, a hobby. I wanted to take up a hobby, wanted to do something with some guy friends that they, they, were, they were doing this kind of thing. And I'm not going to pick out and name the, the thing because some of y'all might say, see, you don't need to do that. I'm not going to call out, you insert your hobby, you insert your leisure activity. Remember, leisure leak is one of those things that can cause a puncture. Is whenever you used to do everything together, now you do nothing together. Now you have nothing in common. Therefore, you don't have any of the same interests or any of the same friends. And all of a sudden, what happens, I was looking at this hobby. It's going to take me away on Saturday mornings for for. Four to five hours. And really for me to be good at this hobby, I was going to have to do it on a regular basis. I was going to have to take it up. I was going to have to spend some money. I was going to have to take some time. But my friends were doing it. So I was going to do it. It wasn't anything wrong, illegal, or, or, or bad at all. It was moral, good, and upstanding. But I got to thinking, the kids were little at home, and I got to thinking, I've been working all week, and I'm going to take Saturday morning, and I'm going to claim it, put a stake in the ground, say, I've been working hard all week, I need this time, this is me time, I'm going to take four to five hours, honey, deuces, I'm gone, I'm going to go out and going to do my thing. But 
Because I don't live for me. I live for us. I had the wise moment of one in my life that I said, you know what? I'm going to choose another hobby. Because if I'm going to claim four hours, five hours for me time, and she claims four or five hours for her time, and then we have all the other life experiences and commitments that we have in life, pretty soon we just wrote each other out of our own story. And then we wonder when we walk in the pastor's office and say, well, we fell out of love. Well, no wonder. Because you fell in love with something else. You better be careful of the leak that will uh, ensue upon you. If you'll notice in verse 9 that the voice will actually change to her voice speaking because it is always a his and her relationship. Verse 9, it says this, it goes down smoothly. And my beloved is guiding her lips to her teeth. And notice what she says about him and what she knows about him. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. You know you have a us factor marriage whenever his, he is hers and she is his. I'm not my own. There's this lie out there. See it and it just drives me crazy. When I was like, I don't want to lose who I am. I, don't, I, I need to keep my identity don't get married then. Be yourself or give up yourself and become one. It was never meant to be two. It was meant to be one. And you do it together. I become hers. She becomes mine. But also notice this, how she refers to the us. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields. We know what the garden is, okay? And lodge in the villagers. Let us go out early in the vineyards. Again, why I point to pornography as such a deception is because it is a me thing. Supplemented, if you call it that, if you will. But when it comes about me, it's no longer us. And whenever we lose the us factor in our marriage, love leaks. Then there's the freshness. Keep your fruit fresh. Verse 13. Well, verse, verse, last part of verse 12 says, Therefore I will give you my love. And then it says in verse 13, The man drakes give forth fragrance. Beside the doors are all the choice fruits. New and as well as old. Now, you have to dive into the imagery here, but it won't take you much of an imagination. What in the world's a mandrake? It was considered the love fruit. It was considered a fertility. It was considered something that you would use to arouse someone else. She is wanting a mandrake. She's longing for it. But notice what she says about about the garden. She says, it is new as well as old. It is is a choice fruits. Listen, we're all getting older, right? 
And things don't look the way they used to look and aren't shaped the way they used to be shaped. They're not pointing in the same direction. There's so many things that have changes in the body. We got old with the new. Or do you just have old? Refresh. Refresh and keep things fresh in the marriage. I said earlier, I said earlier in the, in the study that sexuality or marriage, the problems, the beauty of marriage is always manifesting itself somehow in the bedroom. Notice that we didn't start in the bedroom. Bedroom doesn't fix it. Okay. We end in the bedroom after we're fully known and fully loved. We can end in the bedroom whenever, whenever the us factor defines our marriage and not the me and the I. We can end in the bedroom whenever we are pleasant and we're enjoying one another as a person, not as an object. And I think about what happens, what, does, what happens to this God-designed marriage. And you go back to Adam and Eve. In the story of Adam and Eve. And you know the story, and I just rehashed the story of the love, marriage, and sexuality and the progression of it. But that's chapter 2. We know what happens in chapter 3, right? Sin enters in. Sin enters in. And I don't have time to break this down, but just, just hang with me on this because this is huge. This may be the most important thing you hear today. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. When sin entered in, do you know what happened to the intimacy? Do you know what happened to the beauty of the marriage? Do you know what happened to the connectedness of the couple? It was gone. It went away. The first thing that went away when sin entered in, it was the intimacy, which is the key of being known and fully known because what did they do? Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says, The eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. No longer were they emotionally one. No longer were they, were they spiritually one. No longer were they on the same page. There was a major letting of the air out of the relationship. Their relationship became divided. They started playing the blame game. The woman you gave me. You know the story. But it doesn't end there. Because this is the sad tale. This is the saddest of them all. It also affected their relationship with God. Because when God came to them in the cool of the evening and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. A leaking love life is not only manifested in the bedroom, it's manifested in your relationship with God. And so I wonder sometimes, cause and effect, how do you fix it? Do you start with your relationship with man or do you start with your relationship with God? I would start with God. Both of you starting with your relationship with God because you will never know forgiveness outside of your relationship with God. 
And if you can't find that, then, then let's start there. That is what builds into this. Because why, why do I say that? It's because who started marriage in the first place? Who designed it in the first place? Who put man and woman together in the first place? But it was God. So do you have a relationship with God? Because the relationship with your marriage is only a manifestation of your relationship with God. You can read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. When he talks about to a man, he says, man, your prayers will be hindered whenever your relationship with your wife isn't right. It's from the Old to the New Testament. Let's bow our heads together. This is a time where I want to encourage you to deep dive into your soul and listen very, very carefully to the still, small voice of God. This is not a time to move. This is not a time to pack it up. This is a time to stop and listen We give you space week after week. We give you time. The world takes time from us. We give you time. We build it in. Don't don't rush through this. Don't move on too quickly. That you miss what God's saying to you. We're going to have pastors. We're going to have deacons. We're going to have spouses around the room, on the landing, in the front. If you want somebody to pray with, we're here. You want to just kneel down where you're at, in the seat where you're at? You can kneel down there. You want to just come come to the front and pray? You can do that. You want to just sit back down? You want to take your partner by the hand and sit down and pray with them right where they're at? You can do that too. This is your time. Father God, we bow before you. We ask that in this space, we examine one. Do we have a relationship with you Has it been fractured by sin? And have we experienced the beauty and the grace of a loving God who sent his son to die for us, to give us life so that we can be connected with God, the father of the universe again? And then, Lord, what stands in the way of us being pleasantly, intimately, us, friendship, and then the sweet fruit of marriage connected again. God, whatever needs to happen in this space, this is your time. Speak to us as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? Prayer partners, go. We're available. This is your time.